Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It is really wonderful to be here with you. Um, and for the last couple of days, we've been having some meetings and getting rolling on, on this new campaign. And uh, we are so excited about the possibilities when we talk about what this kitchen project is going to be like and what it's going to mean for, for the life of our Savior's Infant Church. It's, it, it's wonderful and it's exciting, and I'm, I'm glad to be around to get to share that with you. As Toby said, my name is Dana Peterson. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm one of the coach consultants with the Capital Campaign Services, part of the Mission Investment Fund of the ELCA. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, and uh, have spent most of my ministry um, in congregations in North Dakota and Minnesota and now in Colorado, and, uh, and then came on board to do this work. Um, a little while back. It's great, it's great to be here to, to be able to talk about this campaign, but also to be able to, to share, share the word this morning. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you've ever had the wind knocked out of you. Yeah, you know that feeling? You land on something, or, or maybe you were playing a sport and, and you land on the basketball or whatever, and the wind is knocked out of you and you are and, and you feel like you're never going to be able to inhale, right? And you just, you're out of breath. And it's, it's frightening. It's, it's a bit scary because you, you feel like you'll never have air again. And there'll never be enough air. And you try to pull it and pull it and, and finally begins to come back. But in that moment, when, when you're not sure if it's coming or not, it's, it's a, a frightening thing. Right? That feeling of not having enough often is a, is a frightening feeling for us. My, uh, my mom had, had COPD, and so she had that, that feeling of not having enough air. And, and it's, it's a really difficult thing, and it, it, it's very scary. I remember you know, carrying multiple cans of, uh, of, the, of oxygen, multiple containers, and sticking them all in the trunk you know, when we would go someplace so that she knew she'd have enough before she got back to her, her home. And, and that sense of never thinking you're, you're gonna have enough brings, a, brings not only fear in the moment, but it changes how we, how we live life. If you live life thinking that there's never gonna be enough, we're tempted to, to, to hoard, to pull things together, to keep, to keep things. Um, you know, some of us, some of us have, uh, lived through the depression. And we learned things about how to, how to live by living through the Depression. Now, those folks are getting to be a little older now. And so, uh, but there are a lot of us who were raised by people who went through the Depression. And we learned from them about how things uh, needed to be. And, you know, washing the, washing the inside of the baggies, um, putting it back in the drawer, uh, saving the little twisty ties and all that. I mean, I still do all those things because, because it's just what we learned. Now... Now, as we come around again, we know that those things are good for the environment. So now we start doing them for a completely different reason. But, but that sense of, of keeping stuff tight, sometimes that, that fear of scarcity, fear of not having enough, it makes, it makes people hold tight or become greedy. And you know people that, that have that sense of, of their whole attitude toward life has become one of, of keeping everything to get tight 
keeping it together, not being able to share, whether it's, whether it's food or, or good words or emotions or all that, just keep everything wrapped up and held so tightly. Well, Jesus says, your heart will be where your treasure is. If your treasure is held so tightly that your knuckles are white, what happens to your heart? What happens to your heart? We have a, a daughter who's adult now and mom and doing great, but she she was we adopted her when she was when she came into our house at seven and we adopted her when she was nine. And she had had a very rough early childhood. Her early childhood was was such that, that like, like many kids who dealt with what she dealt with, she would hoard food. She'd take an extra dinner roll and wrap it in her napkin and carry it up to her room or, or take part of her sandwich and, and you know, kind of stick it in her pocket. And, and then we'd find you know, pieces of a sandwich or pieces of an apple or something stuck in the closet in the dresser and all that months later and, uh, and then you know, clean up the moldy stuff and take it away. Now she knew there was plenty of food in the house. And she knew that she could have it whenever she wanted. And if I said to her, you know there's enough food to eat, right? She'd say, yeah. So you know you can have food whenever you want, right? She'd say, yeah. But, but the, inner, the inner part of her had learned to live with scarcity, learned to wonder if there'd ever be enough, and learned to believe that probably no one else was going to help her. And so she had to deal with it on her own. That's that scarcity mentality. And it, it, it begins to warp us and takes quite a bit to get us to move away from, from thinking just in that way. Now Israel, the nation of Israel, they had reason to be afraid because they'd been taken away into exile. They had been taken away by the Babylonians, carried off, and, and now they were away from their home and they were, they were uh, uh, under the, thumb of, the, under the thumb of their captor. And so the prophet Jeremiah comes along, and, and if you read Jeremiah, he's kind of depressing. He's got a lot of hard words to say. He's tough to get, a, get along with. But, but Jeremiah also has some, some amazingly good words. And in the middle of, of Israel's exile, Jeremiah says this from God. He says, he says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. When you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. Now, it would have been very tempting for Israel to live in that mode of scarcity. But here in these hopeful words of God, God says, I have a future for you. And it's a future with hope. It's not a future that you need to be afraid of. It's a future that, that is filled with hope. And so God offers that out to us. God offers that to them and, and, and offers it to us as well. Now when we, think, when we think in a scarce way, well, let me tell you a story. I was a, in a congregation I served at one point in time. There were... Um, we used to have this huge, uh, huge almost buffet every, every Sunday between services. You know, it started with the classic donuts, right, that everybody had. And then it's like, well, we, no, we need something more than that. We can't just give people donuts. Some people don't like donuts. 
So then we got some cookies. And then somebody said, well, we don't want just sweet things. We need something else. So then we got, then we got, uh, we got crackers and cheese and meat. And then we said, we better have some, something healthy. So we got some vegetables and some carrots and some other stuff. And then we said, well, we might have some, you know, maybe somebody doesn't like something else. And pretty soon we had a, a buffet every week. It was kind of crazy. And, and one day the cookie ladies came to me and they wanted to talk to me and they said, and truly they said it just like this, pastor, some kids are eating the cookies. <laughs> the children are coming down after Sunday school before their parents get out of church and they are eating the cookies. They're taking two, three, four cookies, a handful of cookies, and then they're, they're running off to eat them. We've got to do something. And I said, buy more cookies? <laughs> Pastor, you don't understand. They're eating the cookies. And I said, I don't think you understand. A bunch of those kids were, were the, our kids that, you know, in that congregation, we had kind of the, the, I don't know if you guys have them here, but we have kind of the, the drive-through Sunday school parents, you know, they would drive through the parking lot, boot the kid out the door, go to Sunday school, they go to Starbucks for an hour, come back, pick the kid up and go again, right? And, and so we had a, a lot of those kids. And so those kids, a bunch of them, not all, but a bunch were, were the, the, those parking lot, the drive-through Sunday school kids. And they, they'd get their cookies and then they'd, they'd run out to watch mom and dad come in to get them. And I was like, do you get the, the, how valuable that is to them? How much that cookie means to them when mom and dad won't even come in the building, but the people in here will give me, they'll give me a cookie, they'll give me a glass of juice. They care about me. They, they love who I am. And, and so I, I went to, they said, Pastor, you, you've got to get us, we, we need a cookie czar. We need someone to watch over those cookies. And I said, okay. So I thought, well, I'm not going to win on the merits of my argument here. I just got to figure out how to make this happen in a good way. So I, I went to a woman named Ramona. Ramona was a newly retired fourth grade teacher. She taught fourth grade for 40 years. She loved kids, she was a grandma, she was this, uh, she's kind of a, a, you know, she's just this wonderful woman. And I said, Ramona, here's the problem. I'm having a problem with the cookie ladies. I didn't even have to name names. <laughs> she knew, she'd been to church with them for 25 years, she knew. And, and I said, here's the deal. Could you stand by the cookies and just welcome the kids and make sure they just take a, you know, a cookie or two. And she's like, absolutely, I got, I got you covered. I didn't even have to finish it. Well, Ramona stood there and said, hello, boys and girls, how are you? Good to see you. Nice, I'm so glad you're here this Sunday morning. Why don't you have a cookie? Take one, take two, you know, make sure we leave enough for everybody. And of course the kids were absolutely, you know, fine with just a little guidance as to how many cookies they take. And, and it changed the whole picture. Of, of that sense, of, of that, uh, that problem. You know, when we have that, when we have that sense of, of community and abundance, we approach things in a very different way than when we, when we have a, a mentality about scarcity. When we think there's not enough, then we're, we're, we're tempted to protect it. But when we understand that, that sometimes love comes through cookies. Sometimes love comes through sharing. Love always comes through sharing. And, and so when, you, when we deal with the way people love one another, by, by sharing food or time or energy, we realize that, that God is not a God of scarcity, 
but a God of abundance. Now, abundance means trusting God for, for everything we have and understanding that all we have was God's in the first place. And then being able to give thanks to God that God gives us all we need. That's living in abundance. Jesus said he came that we would have life and have it abundantly in John 10, 10. And to me, that, that means that, that we understand that when we trust God in all things, including our finances, that when we trust God in all things, that God is, is consistent and, and present and that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. That, that when God gives to us, the thing that God gives to us never tastes like earwax or even Brussels sprouts, <laughs> but tastes good and sweet and wonderful. Now our Savior's is on a mission. Our Savior's has a mission, and that mission is one of abundance. It's moving forward in faith. It's one of my, well, like one of my pastor friends says, it's getting out of the way of the Holy Spirit, letting the Spirit do work with us instead of over against us. Now, as the, the next step in that mission is you begin this capital campaign, Tasting God's Grace, a Feast for All. You have the opportunity really to see and to share that, that invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Over the next five weeks, you will come together in, in prayer, in study, in conversation, in preparation for the commitment weekend on April 6th and 7th. You'll dream together about what possibilities will be unleashed when that kitchen comes online. When that beautiful new kitchen becomes a reality, you'll imagine and reflect on the ministry that's made possible by the kitchen. You think about all the things that happen in there now and what, what could happen as this new, new reality comes to be. Not just the funerals that get served there and the people who gather around food, not just the other meals that happen, not just feasts, but all of the things that are possible. The way this community might be changed by, by reaching out and, and uh, teaching somebody how to cook or giving someone an opportunity they've never had. Tasting God's grace is a time in your life together that believes in God's mission. Tasting God's grace is a time when, when you get to stand up and say, God is on a mission. We're, we're on a mission from God, but it's God who has the mission. We catch it. We hang on to it. We're, we become part of the mission of God. And we want to become part of that mission of God, knowing that God does have a plan for you, as Jeremiah says. A plan for you, and the plan is to give you a future with hope. So trust this promise. Trust this promise. Step forward in faith and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing together our hymn of the day.